Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. But did things improve then for Live and Let Die, given there's a lot of black actors? And- no. No, it didn't, right? No. I mean, again, you know, you, you had to have the uh, the, the Black Stuntman's Association was was a big part of that. Joey Chitwood was responsible for all of the drivers. There's those behind-the-scenes shots, which we which they're available on YouTube. You can all see them, of of the boat going across the road and the cars crashing and all sorts, and yeah. the guys getting out, and they're all blacked up, and they're wearing helmets, and you're going, oh, God. what? What are you doing? You know, just... Um, it, it's a really it's diff- now it's difficult to accept that but then it was almost second nature guys like eddie smith who you know were part of this and saying you know that we wanted to, we were we were very good at what we did and yet they're, they're still they're still getting white guys to double black actors and there is a there's a there's a rule of thumb now whereby you know you have to you have to extinguish all the possibilities first before you even suggest a white double which was obviously never considered prior. And so you have moments there where you think, well, you'd think that things would improve. And in certain cases they had, but this movie's littered with, with those. So there was those type of situations, the boat chase, um, the car chasing Gloria Hendry's double, you know, Gloria Hendry turns up at the hotel as Mrs. Bond. Uh, Roger realizes, Oh, guns missing door goes. He's got a cigar on. Yeah. stamps the cigar grabs hold of her and flings her but bob simmons with the japanese somersault flims her, flicks her over onto the bed well there weren't any stunt women you know there weren't any stunt women who were capable of doing that uh, and if they were they were busy elsewhere because this was this particular scene was filmed at pinewood and there was only 10 maybe stunt people or stunt women anyway at that time some of them weren't even regular stunt women back in 73 so you had a very small number who were who were busy elsewhere. That's Colin Skeeping. Colin Skeeping, stuntman who is very slight of frame, but you know a, a terrific gymnast. Later on in life, became uh, 
Luke Skywalker's double on the first three. He was Sir Mark mm-hmm. Hamill's double on the first three Star Wars pictures, and was also the stunt coordinator on um, uh, Midsummer Murders. And uh, <laughs> he's very, he's very proud of the fact that he says, "I've killed more people than Harold Shipman," uh, which is uh, slightly alarming and yet very funny all at the same time. When you think about it, but um, you know, he is uh, very agile in that. But and, and there weren't any. A lot of stunt guys were big stunt guys, physically big. Yeah. Colin's a very slight character and, and kind of fitted the build that Gloria had and the fact that the, it was filmed with the lights off and it yeah, was in exactly. shadow and you could maybe get away with it if the edit was fast. And that's what they've done, you know? But it's so only they've doubled a black woman with somebody who's <laughs> neither of those things. Yeah. Welcome to 1973. <laughs> we didn't yeah, notice, exactly. did we? I didn't yeah. No, it's, really it's not worried. something you'd notice. But if you if you if you're watching it on on uh, if you're watching it on on Blu-ray, and if you mm. want to go frame by frame or half frame by half frame, you'll catch it's clearly not. Uh, oh, no, it's no. clearly <laughs> not a woman, or indeed a black woman, or indeed a black man. It's very clearly Colin. Because you don't think of. I was going to say in the start, stunts in your head, you immediately, you know, a sort of the general audience would think of the big ones, the bungee jump, the, yeah. you know, the spy love me jump. Stunts are required for so many little things. And even that, yeah. as a kid or whatever, growing up, you just assume it's the actress, don't you? And yep. Assume that Roger Moore's the one flipping her over, don't you? Well, that's it. I mean, you and and it is. You know, Roger is is there, and he is responsible for that sequence. But you have you know all these great driving sequences and 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 Goldeneye and the tank chase and all that sort of stuff. And you know, there's there's so many stunt people there. The credits only say that there's this many, but you have what's known as ND stunt guys, non-descript stunt guys, background stunt guys. People just walking in the way, people just driving their car out of the way at the last moment. And that's, you know, you have all of those. Um, so these type of these type of moments in pictures, people remember the big gags, but they don't remember these little moments. And that's what the whole project was about. The whole Bond book was about is to say, look, yeah, you remember this. You know who skied off the thing and you know who did this. But can I also bring your attention to this? This guy has huge cojones to first be able to do this, to first be offered. Would you mind? Um, would you mind hanging from this blimp that's that's being that's being flown over the top of the Golden Gate Bridge? <laughs> the first thing you go is on my wages. You know, I don't yeah, think yeah. so. But you know, you you come up with a deal and you realise that you can do it, and this rope is in a particular way where you're wired on and you've also got a foot rest which you would never have on a rope and a mooring line and that uh, yeah okay i don't mind you and we're going to film you from down here and you need to be physically hanging on okay that's an amazing gag because also yeah. then what happens is that they kind of ruin the illusion by having a number of shots from the floor looking up but it's very clearly a dummy you know or it's very clearly a <laughs> oh, miniature no, no. and the dummies you know there's a there's a moment in it where it flies over the bushes, flies over the hedges, uh, and it's a, it's very clearly a very small blimp and an action man, evidently, or something of that <laughs> oh, nature. No, it's no, not, no. but it's done in a moment, and you go, oh, that's such a shame. Why is that? Why have you done that? You know, so that type of stuff. But yeah, these are the, the whole idea is bringing people's attention to the fact that look, this is a stunt as well, and you should never never forget what else is going on. So yeah, and um, what my favourite gag in the whole movie, if I may, just as far as this is concerned, just. So we've we've covered we've ticked all the boxes. The airport sequence where the car rides up the back of the plane and lands on the wing is spectacular. Driven by a guy called Jim Heck. Uh, Jim Heck uh, was part of Joey Chitwood's team, and that entire sequence is worked out with stopwatches. 
timing because that whole sequence starts when the car crashed in the in the hangar there's a car slides and crashes into a plane the windscreen is shattered and he, he the guy says i can't see where i'm going i can't see and goes whack and drives into the side of the plane and shoves it so him shoving that across shoves it in line with the ramp where Jim Heck is flooring this thing at 50 miles an hour to hit that ramp at just the right time to use the body of the plane as the thing that will turn him over and land. You can't, that's absolute precision. That's nowadays you do that with a pipe ramp. You certainly wouldn't do it with timing. There's no way you could guarantee that split second timing. You'd have a fixed pipe ramp, which maybe you'd remove afterwards in, in post. That car would drive up it and turn and land on the wing. But this is all one shot. It's magnificent. It's done in the blink of an eye. It's fantastic. Do you think the reason, to an extent, that things like that were done in one shot, which was clearly more difficult, as you say, with stopwatches and getting the timing in it, when actually with editing you could probably not do it in one shot, do you think that was still um, a hangover from theatre days where everything was worked out in one sequence and they hadn't, in some ways, it's just how they worked. They did everything in one sequence rather yeah. than always breaking it down. I think so. I think that's got a lot to do with it because all of a lot of these gags that we that we use were brought from the theatre. Those type of visual gags. Let's do it for real. Doing it for real has always been the Bond thing. They keep throwing that ass left, right, and centre. And even now, when they're not doing it for real, they're doing it for real. You know, let's be. But they. But in those days, there there were still those hang-ups of the audience might see something, the audience might know different. And even though that shot is filmed, there's three cameras on that gag. One on the plane filming the car coming towards. One from this side, seeing the car arrive on the side of the plane and seeing the car come across. And one from the other side, seeing the car push the car, the plane into, into line. They've covered all the options. Now it's up to the editor. Right, let's see what we can do. Let's cut from this and do as many cuts as we can. You put all those edits in, and then, uh, like, when we talked about the golden gun where the car flips over, by having sure. no edits, you see it's done in one take. Yeah, almost, exactly. They could have captured that whole sequence without an edit. In some ways, it might be more impressive because yeah. I hadn't realised it was all done in one take until you told me. Yeah, yeah. It's just so. Uh, uh, nowadays, you look at it, and go, oh, what they, if they'd done this, but nowadays you'd have had um, you'd have had a CG plane for a start off. That would have been moving around. It probably would have been a green screen that the car is landing on. That would have been a studio, and everything else would have been painted in the background, or you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it would have been one shot because it's only one vehicle. Mm. Everything else is then created in camera uh, or created in in post. You know. But I think that that's the brilliance of it and why Live and Let Die works very well. I, I, because Joey Chitwood was a terrific cast for this particular movie because he's come from live shows. And live shows, you have to. You know, you have to. Do, the, the audience aren't going to want you to do it again because you did it wrong. Mm-hmm. You've got to do it and you've got to do it right. And that's why there are moments when, you know, I've had an argument for many, many years where people go, oh, Evil can Evil, the greatest stuntman in the world. I go, no, 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 Daredevil. Not a stuntman, very different kind yeah, of fish. Yeah. He would get to the top of that jump ramp, knowing full well he's never going to make this jump, and he is in fact going to break his back hmm. because he doesn't have enough revs. The thing is missing two gears on the way down. He's not going to make it. But the seventy-five thousand people in this audience, and they've paid ten dollars each, so I'm going to have that money, and that money may have to come in handy for me to pay my hospital payments <laughs> so that I get well again. You know, all of this sort of stuff. If that's a stuntman, he's going to go this. This bike is it's not shifting. It's missing third gear. Let's get a replacement bike. Let's do some more testing, et cetera, et cetera. You can't do that in a live audience. So you have to make sure that everything works tick-tock, you know, the whole thing. You have to be in the car 
that's the thing nowadays strapped in five point harness the whole nine yards and jim's got a he's got a stopwatch he's in the car with a stopwatch going now (laughs) he's having to look at it as he gets to that ramp yes i'm on i'm I'm on it you know crazy but from that live audience if you had a different coordinator in maybe or somebody who was familiar with doing car stunts for motion pictures that that gag may not have worked it may have been edited a very different way it may have been shot a very different way so you know it's a very interesting way to look at it that that they come from a certain background and create that again blink and you'll miss it moment on screen it's superb very 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 good indeed um, Baron Samdi was was that just supernatural when the his head was blown off? Sadly, that? yes. Yeah. Although, who was on on stage uh, on the stage that was it? I think it was Princess Alice. I think had visited Pinewood that day, <laughs> and it wasn't Princess Margaret. Princess Margaret arrived one day on the set of uh, Revenge of the Pink Panther and was met by Doug Robinson as he fell through a wall at her feet after <laughs> after being thrown through it, and uh, she said, "Oh, hello." <laughs> was the first thing she said, went, "Mom, you know." But uh, no, Princess Alice, I think, was was on the set, and he didn't know that this this the actor obviously uh, didn't uh, Jeffrey Holder didn't realise that uh, she was going to be there, and so they had this shot of of course the head being, and also when he goes into the snakes, yeah, because he did that for real. Because do you know why he did that for real? Nobody else would do it, and do you know that's <laughs> the right, quite <laughs> right too. I'm sorry, yeah. So who wants to fall in the snakes? Oh, lads, where are you going? Lads, come back. You know. <laughs> No, no. So he had to do it. All of the snakes had to be milked first. There were some that had venom and there were some that didn't. And so there was a couple of moments there where he has to fall in and then turn over. And there's lots of, lots of, yeah, and do that thing where he gets one wrap round him, you know. And then gets out and the rang the rank the snake wrangler. What do you want to be when you grow up? I'm going to be a snake wrangler. So <laughs> yeah. you can move out now. That's what you're yeah. Racing in and getting these things off him. That was a very weird moment. And Princess Alice stood there going, "So you do this for a living, do you?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm an actor, madam. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's not Shakespeare, is it? No, it's not, man. No, no. <laughs> so you know, moments of that nature. And then you know, the, the other extreme, of course, is that boat chase. Bond ripped off one of our boats. He's headed for the Irish Bayou. The man that gets them stays alive. Now move, you So many bits to it, though, aren't there? I know it's you know some people criticise it for its length and not being scored as much, but just some of the shots and the you know. Well, they didn't have one. Did I mean, they didn't have a chase, yeah. did they? they? They just had a. Yeah, they, yeah. they had a bit in that script that says a boat chase. Casino Royale's the same thing. Bond has foot chase. It said in the script. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. What happens now? Well, make it up as you go along. And that's more or less what they did. You know, they've scouted locations and said, that'd be good, that'd be good. And Jerry Camo was a world-class boat handler. And he'd never he'd never jumped a boat that far before, but he had worked out the system whereby when he hits the kicker ramp or he hits a ramp, he shoves the engine into horizontal. So it doesn't drag on the floor, it's flat. And then he can put it back in the water when he hits the water. So he was getting further and further every time because of these type of boats that they were using. And he, he'd found a way, of, they were hinged. These uh, engines at the back were hinged, so it gave him a, a way of being able to do that. There's a, there's a couple of moments of health and safety madness uh, in this as well, because you know, you've got, you've got the boat jump for a start off, which is unbelievably spectacular. So got two actors stood under it. You've, you've got the you know the, the sheriff and and, and, uh, hey, and the other yeah. dude, 
uh, and of course they the two actors are stood there so and he gives it plenty and he's, he's in it and you know he lands and he away he goes the second boat that comes over is even worse because there's nobody in that at all that's fired it's fired from a, a sort of a cannon I suppose an air ram and there's nobody in it well it's a dummy in it and it must pass I would say it's 10 feet above Clifton James head 10 feet <laughs> this powerboat is a and you go um, and he fought you know does that whole reacting thing and falling on the floor throws his arms in the air probably it would have been this close to scraping the bottom of the boat as it yeah. <laughs> no, it's unbelievably dangerous of course it then it, it bounces on the water and disappears off into the reeds and then they they throw in a sequence of, of the two guys falling in the water and jumping out but really really ridiculously dangerous but again you know they they kind of worked it very well and they had the, the um Joey Chipwood was was there again with the the guys with the in Jamaica, of course, the guys on the motorbikes. One of the guys on the motorbikes was Bud Eakins, who was uh, Steve McQueen's double on the on the Great Escape, jumping the fence. Oh, yes, so, of course, yeah. uh, he was on that as well. Uh, and one of the guys injured himself quite badly because he jumped the bike into coral, which was you know he yeah. thought would be clear. He thought he'd missed it and jumped into deep water and landed in the coral, and had to be carried out because he was in a real mess by the time they got him out he was in a serious injury but you know that's why you do these things you do you 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 plan ahead nowadays you'd have somebody in the water the whole time you clear the area you'd certainly make sure that that bike was powerful enough to get it to x marks the spot it's target jumping you know that's what you that's what you need to do you need to hit this spot here because this is 25 feet deep this bit here that's coral everywhere so you've got to be powerful enough to get over that so things have changed you know, things have moved on, but uh, they weren't moving off fast enough on a couple of occasions, sadly. So there <laughs> were some injuries, but visually, you know, and then you say, I want this bus to spin round. Well, let's contact, uh, we'll get the, uh, we'll get the, the London bus company and Morris Patchett came out and did the job. You know, what was also interesting was that they left Jane Seymour in the bus. <laughs> <laughs> She's in the bus at the back of the bus, you know, and uh, again, no Can't business being it. in there whatsoever. <laughs> but when that, if you slow it down and she's and that bus spins round, she's quite clearly sat in the back of the bus, screaming her lungs out, oh, right. uh, and wishing oh, wishing wait, she'd wait, never wait. left the O'Neill line. Frankly, <laughs> um, uh, and you, I mean, you talk to her now, you know, and she she'd go, "Oh, it's fantastic! It was wonderful! It was amazing!" She probably shed herself every time. <laughs> yeah. I reckon that bus went round twice. And it's going, what are you doing on the bus? She hasn't, you just need to be there. Yeah. Just sit on the bus, love, you'll be fine. You know, this whole thing spins around. And, and uh, I was on a bus when it went round on a skid pan once, watching this guy do it. And I was sat on the, the opposite seat, holding on. He said, you hold on, okay. And I was right there in against the side of the thing. And the G-forces, this thing mm. whips round, is unbelievable. Yeah. So what it must be like for, you know, Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, sat at the back there, <laughs> having having uh, her lunch brought back to her, yeah. <laughs> flying this thing around. Amazing. But they did that then, you know. Very exciting. Very exciting movie. And, of course, you know, it's applaud. It's because, again, stunts are great, and they remember those gags. They remember the top coming off yeah, the bus, yeah. and they remember all of that sort of stuff, you know. so If it's visually unusual like that, like the a view to a kill, the car getting chopped off three different ways, you know. Oh, it, yeah. It's incredible, and I know there's you know issues with it not being Roger's face clearly, but just the ingenuity of the scene is is incredible. In I public. think that's, that's possibly that that touch and go job there, where it comes up, it tops the top of the bus, and it goes down, is possibly yeah. one of my favourite gags in any movie. Yeah, um, I think that's absolutely <laughs> spectacular, spectacular. Remy Julien's son Michel drove that, did it in one shot, and that's 
fantastic. <laughs> well, did it in two takes. He, yeah. he missed he missed the landing area just to touch the first time, but uh, yeah, did it again. It was spectacular. So it's great. The car died. The other one, of course, it was the. Kananga bloke himself, the guy who ran the the crocodile farm, he, did he end up doing that? Didn't he? And yes, he did. Yeah. But then they did they do it again with the crocodile's mouth tied. They did it every. T- he 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 said he could do it. Okay, that's what they want. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to. I want Bond to run across the top of crocodiles. You go. Logic. <laughs> hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I mean, if you were that, you go what. Don't be so stupid. Of course not. You know what these are, right? These are prehistoric animals that haven't eaten for a long time. And they tied the they tied the they tied the legs down, I believe. As long as the tail could still move at the back, it's a bit like sharks. If sharks stop swimming, is that, uh, am I getting this right? If they stop swimming, they yeah, yeah they can't drown swim or something because yeah. the gills or something. So uh, similar with crocodiles, they had the feet at the front and the legs at the back tied, and the mouths initially taped. Because the blow, the breathe holes are here at the top of the nose, so they could still breathe. They're clever, so they know. Right, what's this guy doing? I'm not going to let him do that again. Here he comes, and the third crocodile is already going. Come on, then, and waiting for him. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and got him, got him two or three times. You know, grabbed him by the shoe on one occasion and cuddled him on the on the previous occasion. I mean, it's you know just lunacy. But you know, they they said that was amazing, which it was. Got it done. And uh, and named the major character after him. You know, yeah, that's well, not bad going. And uh, sadly, uh, Ross Kananga died in 1978 and had a heart attack and died. And to be right. fair, you can't blame him. You know, you see, if he, <laughs> he wasn't killed by a crocodile, but the whole idea of thinking about it would have been enough to go, yeah. oh, I think I'm having palpitations. You know, this is lunacy. But um, <laughs> what he did for that split second, you know, amazing, absolutely amazing. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It's also very Roger Moore, isn't it? Roger Moore's Bond. He would think about well, doing no, I think he, he did. Uh, he decided to wear crocodile shoes. You know, the, yeah, he did. <laughs> that's just the way that Roger's mind. Thinks. This would be funny. I'm going to wear your auntie as I'm running over the top of you. You know, so yeah, fabulous of its time, certainly. Yeah, of its time. Yeah, which is good and bad, isn't it? Like with the stunts, you know, the the black guys and girls who weren't given a chance. That's bad, but the lack of those sort of real dangerous stunts in a way that. Are all first time stunts, aren't they? You know, these are things that haven't been tried. So part of the joy of them is not just seeing them on the screen, but then finding out a bit like a magic trick, isn't it? Finding out how it is, how it's Uh, done. Also, the sort of the uh, the mark of some of these gags is that they're never attempted again. Hmm. No, no. Once this was done once. Uh, Did they do it again? No, they didn't. Wow, and they did that for real. Oh yeah. (laughs) yeah, that's amazing. And yet, a lot of the gags that happen, then they will progress into something else you know yes uh, yeah they're so. all just one part of a certain scene aren't they yeah. a certain stunts or a certain chase but, that's yeah. right you, you start a sequence with one gag and then it becomes something else and then another movie yeah. comes along and says oh that's a nice idea i'll try and use a bit of that and i'll take a piece of that and it starts inspiring other filmmakers to go you yeah. remember the bond movie where they did that i got an idea why did we do this you know i think we mentioned it before particularly even christopher nolan has admitted it hasn't he the sort of a license to kill the helicopter, yeah. grabbing the plane with the the hook and all that. I think he's admitted, hasn't he? Sort of that was inspired, but you just don't hear you don't hear praise for John Glennon other than on our show, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, being such a pioneer for these incredible stunts. I know, obviously, second unit were on it as well, but and a lot of yeah. people were involved. I mean, that that one on on the one you're referring to, Batman Begins, was was much more complex. Was it Dark Knight? What was it, Dark Knight? Uh, I think it was Dark Knight, right? Yeah, yeah, it's the, the um, beginning, wasn't it? 
it was a little bit, yeah, a little bit more complicated. But that, the whole way when that um, when that plane falls away, I mean, that's for real. You know, those oh, boys yeah. are hanging up. Everything's done. It's magnificent. So it's a, it's a terrific sequence. But um, there was certainly inspiration there. There's no doubt about that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's inspired, and then they do more, don't they, I suppose? Oh, yeah. go, go one step further, which is good. Yeah. And, you know, it is practical, which is what we're – we're crying out for, isn't it? That's it. There's no, there's no CG in that sequence at all. I think no. there might be one, a couple of CG shots, maybe for propellers turning around, because one of the planes was being was actually hooked to a plane above. I seem to remember. Yeah, but they've taken some cables out. But that's the, I think that's the only thing. The rest of it is all done for real. Man with the gun. I mean, we've mentioned the jump, haven't we? Yeah, mentioned the jump. I, I think the only other thing to mention there is there's a couple of lovely things, if I may, just while yeah, we're yeah. on the subject. Uh, the first thing is, of course, um, the fight in Beirut. Which was, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that was uh, okay. Rocky and uh, Rocky Taylor uh, playing uh, Ahmed. And um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a sort of phlegm thing you have to have. And uh, Rocky and Terry Plummer with the, the other the other guy. Terry Plummer had been fighting Roger for probably most of his adult life. I think he's in every other episode of The Saint. <laughs> As, as a knife-wielding Mexican or whatever it was in some shape or form. The story is that Rocky had been out the night before and had a bit of a skinful and was a yeah. bit delicate and got home, and, uh, went to bed, and the phone rang, and it was Les Crawford. Les Crawford, Roger's double on, on The Saint and The Persuaders, and was coordinating this fight in the studio and said, look, we brought the whole thing forward. We're going to do the fight tomorrow. I need you at, the, I need you at Pinewood for six and he went, okay, fine, yeah, right. So he just got to the studio and uh, had a shower and a shave and got in a costume. Roger had then got wind of the fact that, that Rocky was feeling a bit delicate. So is, there is that moment in the fight where he's banging his head against the wall, <laughs> and that wasn't really scripted. That was kind of suggested <laughs> by Roger. And every time he banged, he went, sorry, Rocky, sorry, Rocky, sorry, Rocky, did, doing it over and over again. But Rocky was also there when, when Roger was given the role of Bond. So oh, he'd wow. been at Pinewood. He was with Les Crawford. Rocky was with Les Crawford because they were working on something else and they were walking through the main building. And Roger says, Rocky, Leslie, says, come here. What? I said, come here. He said, um, took him into a side office. Oh. And uh, he said, you're now looking at the new James Bond. And Rocky went, what? He says, I'm James Bond. Now, Les was over the moon because Les had been doubling Rocky for, uh, Les had been doubling Roger for years. And he thought, I'm going to double James Bond. This is amazing, right? <laughs> so he was thrilled. They were screaming, yeah. And in the corner of the room, uh, Roger, I think, knew what was going on anyway and had brought um, a rather nice uh, crate of champagne. So they sat there and uh, and uh, celebrated his uh, his uh, his oh. fortune. Uh, I felt terribly sorry for Les Crawford because Les Crawford had done an awful lot of work making Roger look very, very good over the years. Rocky and Roger had doubled as well, but, but Les particularly. And Les didn't get much of a look in, you know, Man with the Golden Gun was pretty much as as much he did on a Majesty's Secret Service. He was on that, but from a from a main doubling point of view, only doubles him really crashing out through the window after Roger kicks the guy in the ghoulies. You know, doing out through the window. <laughs> also, I apologise for all those people who have, who are now googling the word ghoulies. Yeah, yeah. What's that? Really that grown really that grown that. man just said the word ghoulies. So, yeah, the um, killed the man in the man with the golden gun. So. Less yeah. stunts, John. Yeah. Less stunts. They, of course, the, the the other thing they never mentioned is that is that uh, that wonderful fight sequence, which of course was 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 all done on location. The girl there, of course, the the, the two of them, Joey yes. and Shaver. Stand back, girls. Ah! 
Joey Vegicheva was that was she was an she wasn't an actress. She was uh, somebody who had written to the production crew or written to Eon offices and said, "I really like a part in your movie and you're filming, etc." And they gave it to her. You know, they said, "Okay, <laughs> what?" So yeah, they good. gave it to her because her dad used to run a um, um, was it a taekwondo or a, ju- a, a judo? I don't know. Is it one of the two? And the other girl is um, is uh, Yun Kyu, who's actually a very big actress, and and uh, she was one of the leads in. Have you ever seen Kung Fu Hustle? She was uh, she was one of the leads in that. Oh yeah. Um, and they were the two girls. But the fight itself is very, you know, it's a it's a great fight because there's a, there's a great thing called the, the Hong Kong Shuffle where. There were certain rules as far as Hong Kong fights were concerned. The actor would be fighting this guy. Only ever, only ever fight one guy at a time in those early days yeah. of, of, uh, of the Chinese and, uh, and uh, Japanese cinema. And so in the background, the guys are doing the Hong Kong shuffle. They're, they're deciding, <laughs> I'm going to come in. Yeah. I'm gonna, no, it's not my cue yet. Uh, I'm going in now, you know. And so later on, Jackie Chan developed this in, in, a, in a way where it would be noises. He would then write, your noise is, Ugh! and you go, why? Ah, okay, different noises. So when he hears, oh, it's this guy. And when he hears, oh, it's this guy coming from over here, you know? So he's developed, they can all come in at the same time and he knows which direction to look at. They hadn't really worked that one out in this fight. So there's an awful lot of guys doing the shuffle in the background and waiting to come in. <laughs> you can see some of them, I think some of them aren't meant to be the fighters, but it's like the the real people just watching with straw hats and some yeah, of those. there's some guys, that, I mean, all of the, 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 there's a whole bunch of, I analyze it quite closely in the book. There's everybody in there is is a is a fight guy in some shape or form has been brought in specifically. But the, the main guy, Chin Yut Sang is is the guy. He's the guy who is um, thrown over the bridge. Roger throws him off the top of the bridge. Oh yeah, yeah. But he's the he's the fight coordinator. So he arranged the entire fight. And, uh, it's a it's a fun fight, you know, because it takes. Oh. It's not Bond. Leave it to me, girls. And then they jump in and they do it. And he goes, oh, okay, I'll just watch this for a minute. This is quite entertaining. Uh, we'll get these two adult girls to be dressed as <coughs> schoolgirls, and I'll just sit here and uh, and then you know the other guy turns up. Forgot to tell you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and then and then he drives off and leaves him. I go, yeah, yeah, he is. He holds the door open for him and then closes the door. And go, oh, it's all he's very not popular with bum thumbs. Hip is he? Goodness yeah, me, he gets a lot yeah. of he's not very hip, is he? Bless him. No, um, that scene gets a lot of. It's not for the purists, but I again as a kid, purists. This is, this is, I was just jumping for joy. I Still love it because it's a great fight. I also yes, like the way that really? he does the, the way that after the first kick where he kicks the guy in the head. Uh, oh, I also like that. That's, that's brilliant. Genius. That's typical Roger. And I also it like is, the following one when Chula, when he comes out, right? I like yeah, the way yeah. that, that Chula does that. Never le- never oh, stops looking at him all the way down. So There's some great stuff. It's uh, Mammoth the Golden Guns, very, very underrated. Oh, massively. I, now. I love it enormously. Yeah. Now, now, now certainly. But uh, yeah. it's always been part of my uh, – there's that Roger Moore period where he did those sort of movies, you know. Yeah. He did that. He did that lucky touch, if you've ever seen that, with Susanna York yeah. and uh, Shelley, Shelley Winters, which is just <laughs> horrible on every level. But uh, he's marvellous. You know, he could be selling pet food. It wouldn't make the blindest <laughs> yeah. bit of difference. He would, you know, very, very good at being able to just sell the whole thing. And I, I think he does that very well in those in those pictures. But, uh, yeah, Man with the Golden Gun. Good stuff, that. Steve, just while I've got you, please tell me your thoughts on the Man with the Golden Gun. Please yeah. tell me what I'm going to hear. Well, as I say, it was, uh, growing up, it was my favourite Bond film. It was between that and The Spy Love Me. They, they were the two I loved. Yeah. And, and it probably was the case until I saw Licence to Kill at the cinema. 
uh, when I was 13, oh. which is exciting to be 13, going to see a 15. Yeah. And I, I was just, that film just absolutely blew me away. But I did absolutely adore The Man with the Golden Gun. And then it was weird. I kind of had a period. I do wonder if I just watched it too many times because if it's your favorite yeah. film, it tends to be get watched a lot. And, and the same perhaps happened with Spy. And I, I don't know. I, I think Sir, Sheriff JW, uh, I think I started to get a bit irritated with him. But again, I think that's just one of those characters. If you've watched him too many times, you yeah. um, <laughs> can get a bit wearing. But I, I, do you know, funny enough, today I was planning to watch The Man with the oh. before we did this. And I, I didn't get time in the end because I had, had some DIY to finish which took longer than I thought. But uh, <laughs> I did. Uh, that was the film I was going to watch, just strangely, because it is one I've now not watched, well, for at least a year. Yeah. I try, and, I try and watch all the Bond films every year, well, apart from certain Bond actor films. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that will be the next one I watch, even more so after we've just talked about it, because just listening to you uh, and yeah. Susan again, it was really um, getting me excited to watch it again. Well, that's it, yeah. I, I, I've, I've always, um, I can understand why, uh, for instance, uh, when Jaws came back in Moonraker and and Lewis Gilbert's going, you know, we, we had so many letters, so many letters from kids saying, we want him back, we want him back. Did they really have the same sort of thing with Sheriff Pepper? <laughs> Did they have you know, a huge mailbag full of people going, I don't think we've seen enough of this sheriff. We'd like him back, particularly on holiday. Really? Well, Let's write it in. You know, It's a great I idea. He's even funnier in Mum with Golden Gun. He's I'm, better I'm, in the Mum with the Golden Gun. Every scene he's just brilliant in. I think it's hilarious. I mean, you don't <laughs> put it in the context of, you know, Burt Reynolds era and, and they were doing all oh, the yeah, yeah. in oh. those films. And it's very kind of all, really. comedy of that time. And, yeah, so oh, I've got no problem with it now. I think I just went through a phase where I literally watched that film too many times, and and then it just start things start to <laughs> silly bits start to become less funny. And uh, but no, I'm well, I'm well ready for another watch. It has has been too long. Good. Is, I, 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 we, is it funny because we're yeah. talking about stunts? We actually haven't mentioned Christopher Lee and how brilliant he and Roger are. Exactly, are just so special yeah. in that film. Yeah. He's one of the best buddies, isn't he? You know, yeah. and that I keep saying, a view to a kill. You know, is often laughed at for some reason, but. Zorin, people still would say him and Scaramanga are two of the best villains, aren't they, in the series? So. Also, we, we've we've kind of gone full circle because we talked about um, Bob Simmons and uh, and Connery having a contract together. Christopher Lee's double is Eddie Powell. Eddie Powell has been doubling him, or worse, was doubling him since I don't know, 1950-something wow. or other. And so all of those Hammer pictures and everything that, uh, you know, that's that's sliding down the stairs in um, Mammoth oh, Golden yeah. Gun, mm. the whole role at the end, that's Eddie Powell. And they were good enough to be used in close-up, you know, so wow. you could, yeah. again, if so you look at it again. tall and slender, wasn't he? Yeah. I assume they're, Eddie like, was pretty tall. Yeah, yeah, they're like twins. They are literally like twins. Uh, the perfect, perfect double. When you find somebody that good, you don't lose them, you know, you don't get rid of them. They're, they're extraordinary people. And sadly, a great many of them no longer with us anymore. No. Mm. Spy of Me now, of course, is most famous for the pre-title sequence. Yes. And with John's quiz, it sort of came up. I can't remember whether it was first or not, but it... It's pretty much the most iconic stunts I've seen. No, it was it was last, and I didn't. <laughs> I, I had all the information. For, I had all the jigsaw pieces in front of me, and they were all put in place apart from that one last piece. And I still couldn't answer it correctly. That's me. <laughs> it's always the way. It's always <laughs> yeah. the way. Um, it was actually the, the the worst stunts in the front. No. <laughs> um, well, it's it's not the fact that I mean it's it's always you know. People go, wow, that stunt. You know, there, there's two in cinema probably that people will go, yep, this is one of them. They don't need to be a Bond fan to appreciate yeah. this. And also, it's the it's the um, Yakima Canut moment in uh, Stagecoach where he jumps from the horse to the stage and then drags underneath the stage. That's a, that there. Yeah, so yeah. those two 
but the interesting thing about this from that point of view is that you know rick sylvester's not the only person to double bond during that sequence yeah he's the one that skis off the cliff right yeah but the rest of the sequence is done by ed lincoln and robert young they do a lot of that skiing leading up to the backflip for instance that's uh, that's oh. robert young if you look at it he's never he's never lands he's never going to nail the landing he, he, he actually there, there is behind the scenes footage that uh, willie bogner had in fact they showed me uh, some time ago of the backflip and him landing in drifts of snow so they created a ramp in order for him to do that backflip, which I think is a 540, I think is what he's done there. And it's, it's magnificent, you know, but yeah. you're never going to nail the landing. And the landing is done by somebody else. I think the landing is done by Ed Lincoln. So That's incredible. What, what, why do they do the landing with someone different? I mean, how do, is it because he's available on a day? Or? Well, I don't know. The, the, maybe, maybe the idea was to try and have something fluid and the fact that there's one of the Russian guys who gets skied into at the moment mm. point of impact as soon as he lands he pushes that guy out of the way so I think they wanted to create that elsewhere and just let Robert concentrate on his positioning in the air and his attempt at landing because he is going for an attempt at landing on the skis of course he bails at the last moment and goes face first but that's the plan and so I think that's probably the reason why and then, of course, you know, then Rick takes over for the remaining part of it. But interestingly, it was it was a photograph, wasn't it? It was a photograph of, of Canadian club yeah. whiskey, which he'd never done. He'd never performed an actual. So they've hired somebody on the basis of a photograph and given the job to somebody who didn't really do anything in the photograph apart from be in the photograph to actually ski off a mountain. And on the strength of that, bearing in mind that Rick Sylvester was, was um, uh, as he describes himself, as, a, as an out-of-work ski instructor when he got the job. And then to be up there and, and to, to be given the job of doing this and John Glenn, you know, making absolutely certain that everything was in the right place because he was directing and editing that sequence and and then to find that only one camera caught him all the way down because the weather was shocking mm. absolutely yeah, yeah. terrible couldn't see a hand in front of you in certain places and even though it was clear on top of the piste and he got that moment where all of a sudden the sun came out and you could see him come all the way down in beautiful color and then ski off the edge the camera which was on a there was a helicopter which was trying to catch a camera position and there was a, uh, a camera further down and they missed him totally completely but this one guy just got him all the way down and, of and, course, and actually that, that adds to the scene i think we yeah, yeah. talked about the, man the golden gun where you just have the one shot the car yeah, yeah. going over so you can see it's not been cut it's done for real yeah. and that i think adds to it and and the choice not to have any sound apart from oh, natural atmosphere that, that is key i think if there had been you know, if Hamlish had said, Do you know, I'm going to just run this for a few <laughs> more bars, he'd have ruined yeah. it. And Hitchcock, John Williams was given the job of, of, of scoring, was it Family Plot? I think it was Family Plot, which was um, Hitchcock's last picture. And there was a moment where the character comes up to an open window and then jumps. Hitchcock, because John Williams scored it, and Hitchcock said, when he gets to the window, nothing. I want nothing from that moment down. We have to believe that everything is behind us and that now he's on his own. And that's exactly what happens here. You know, we're with him the whole time. He's been chased by a bunch of people and then shoom, nothing, you know, it's very, very good. Um, it, it's exceptional. And he's really lucky. I mean, he's really lucky to have gotten away with it because that, you know, he kicks the skis off and then one of them hits the canopy on the way down. It only takes a moment for it to slash that canopy. 
Is there a reserve shoot? I don't think so, you know. I don't <laughs> think so. Nowadays, you'd have, you know, reserve shoots left, right, and center, but I don't think that they had a reserve shoot or anything that was there that could have opened quickly enough in order to dispose because you have to you can't just open the chute you have to dispose of the canopy you've got or what's left of the canopy you've got before you can then open the new one because it has to open a certain way and have enough space to open fully so responsibility on john glenn you know uh, one of his, his return to the bond series is immense that isn't it it is it's huge and that i would have loved to have been somebody who was in the cinema on the night when that was for the first time because that pre-title deservedly so got a standing ovation you know the royal box were up everybody was up you know and it was just you go yes that's exactly what it is and the rest of the movie kind of does exactly the same thing it does carries everything along and, and then says we've got a lull right throw an action scene at yeah, yeah. and it works it really does it it goes in peaks and troughs you have some you have some interesting dialogue sequences and, and you have the plot moves around a bit you've got some interesting characters and then the kitchen sink is thrown at it with something yeah. else and then you get something it's brilliant really really yeah, good. Like it's got absolutely everything that film uh, I mean, as you mentioned it's not just about the stunts which are some of the best in the whole franchise but it's got really good thought out characters and a really well structured plot you know even that pre-title sequence in a, gently ties in to the rest of the yeah, film, you know, which yeah. I think is such a good way of doing it. It's not yeah. smack, not smacked over the head with it. Exactly. Later, it turns it, out that one of those stooges he's killed, the, you know, the George Lazenby lookalike, his name I've forgotten, he yeah. is, is, is the lover of uh, Anya. So I think it's uh, an absolutely phenomenal film in so many ways. It all came together, didn't it, as you said? And, and I think if it hadn't been for Star Wars being released that year, although it was a big, big success and, and yeah. one of the most successful for years, I think it would have been even more huge. I think it would have been just uh, off the scale successful because it, I, it just had everything. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and it's, it's, it's a, it's a testament to, uh, it's a testament to Lewis for a start off uh, Lewis Gilbert for, for, you know, being able to <laughs> all right, effectively come back and did he make the same movie again? Did he make you only live twice too? You know, it's the same type of, it's, it's got the big, it's the overall fight at the end. So you've got the overalls, one color fighting against the overalls of another color. You've got a huge set with the, the volcano in one, and you've got the huge set, which is the Laparis in the other. You've got this really exciting little white sports car, which turns up in both movies. You know, you've got all of these little elements, which, you know, if it ain't broke, don't change it. And maybe that is, one of the reasons why it needed to have a bit of a bit of change and uh, and for him to go well yeah we'll change it by having you know a different actor and a slightly different thing and a bit more money um, but the, the elements are there and also of course for the photography which is just exquisite moments in that which still even now you go oh that's lovely when in in cairo when bond walks yes. into cairo and he stands at that tower and looks up and the tower's you know oh. half a mile away or whatever it is but he's uh, just go, oh that's really nice so there's lots and, and the K- i think the kgb headquarters is beautifully lit yes there's yeah. so many there are just so many magical shots in that film there's one where roger moore is walking along the quayside of a naval base that's right yeah holy, and there's just two or, two or three submarines just in the background i mean yeah how do you time that with the you know obviously first of all you get the navy to agree to do it which is fantastic not many film producers could get the navy <laughs> then well you subs you know that's and then you have it all just fitting together in this tracking shot it's just and it's a throwaway shot but it's stunning yeah. it's also the first time that that bond's ever referred to 
Frederick Gray as a pal, you know, Freddie. Mm. It's, it's very light. You know, they're very, <laughs> where did they get that tracking from, Freddie? And they start <laughs> chatting. For, not for him to go, what the hell did you just call me? You know, <laughs> minister as far as you're concerned. Uh, but all of that, you know, which I thought was rather lovely. You know, of course, you said the audience are going to react amazingly, and they did. There's a massive applause, and growing up, we love that. It's because, as Alan Partridge says, you know, oh, no, James Bond's going to die, and you genuinely... <laughs> Think he might die. There is that moment. Because of course, Bond doesn't die. Of course, and and that's such that's an important character. factor. I find uh, <laughs> in in the character remaining alive for well, yeah. let's say the entire movie. I mean, it's yeah. extraordinary <laughs> what people can do these days with the uh, <laughs> CGI. Anyway, um, for that. but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's that's of course that's right. The very first part of them. That's the start of the film. Yeah. Now, you can't afford to let your guard down and go, well, we've given the audience this. We can now do mediocre for an hour and a half. Yeah. You know, you've got to really be on your game to keep everything at that level. And I, I really think that that has happened at the whole little moments. Nice fight in Egypt. The the the, the bringing in of, of Martin Grace to double Roger, which was a very important moment, I think, for, for certainly a massive moment for him. You know, to be the guy that doubles Roger Moore. Um, nowadays, a movie might have uh, the dub. In certain cases, you could have a big actor being doubled by five or six people. Martin doubled him all the time, you know, and again contracted to do movies that Roger would do. Right, Martin would be the double because there isn't anybody else. There wasn't anyone. It was him, you know. And of course, prior to that, Les Crawford would have doubled Roger from his Saint and, and uh, uh, Persuaders days. And of course, was was one of the stunt coordinators on uh, on Man with the Golden Gun, and wasn't credited, which has always bothered me enormously. I'd love to go to somebody and go, why? You know, you got yeah. twenty five other stunt coordinators on on Live and Let Die, and then really Milligan Junior did the whole thing on that, which he didn't, of course. But anyway, from a studio point of view, you know, Les was the guy, and then Martin come along uh, and really made a difference because it's not just. We did touch on this before, but it's not just a case of doubling the star. It's an acting job. Yeah. Martin Grace has to be Roger Moore being James Bond. And you have to spend time with each other. You have to understand mannerisms. You have to you know, do the things that he does. What's that thing he does with his hand when he does this? And he's got a slightly, with his foot, he maybe walks out on his right foot just a touch, but it's enough to cause that odd little step that he does those little things which you have to then put away into that dark part and go right when i've got the suit on and when i've got the hair and the makeup on i now have to be him so little things like that watching the star or watching the person you're doubling is huge it's absolutely essential the great thing about martin grace is that he doubles not only bond but jaws in this movie as well now that's some job. That is some acting balls to be able to pull off. Right, I'm doubling Bond. I therefore have to be like this. I'm also doubling seven foot two inch Richard yeah, Keel, and I, I have to be like that. Foot between them. So how does he? How did he pull that off? Because he developed this extraordinary thing. He 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 wasn't supposed to double him at all. 
However, when they got to uh, to the, the the ruins, there they're going through the desert and the whole car, the van thing, and then they get out. When he's really high up, on he's the... really high up. So he's doing yeah. all of the stuff, doubling Richard yeah. Keel, walking across the top. But he's he's walking in a sort of slow, lumbering type way. Yeah. He's pushed his arms out quite a bit, which cause a bit of shadow, which give the impression of distance and height. And he's taking slower steps, and he's he's trying to elongate his steps slightly to make them slightly bigger but he's moving slightly slower and from down here when we look up the 50 or 60 feet or however it's you know i wasn't i didn't know uh, half the audience went wow you know look at that richard kill richard kill if he stands on a chair well you know at that <laughs> time he was seven foot two would get dizzy uh, suffer terribly from vertigo so all of that type of thing is is massive and of course had to uh, again would double him later on uh, in the picture as well, at the, at the back end of the picture, when he's dropped into the shark pool, uh, and again, you know, looking at it from that point of view, you think, "Hang on, they just doubled Roger a moment ago," which he did. Yes. So Richard Keel drags Roger over the the uh, the the banister there, and then he gets picked up by the picked up by the magnet and dragged down, and then Martin drops him into the water. So you know, all of these sort of things. I think it's a brilliant uh, it's a brilliant piece of work by Martin, and he's very very busy and on those stuff those items when he can't do it then they they bring in certain specialists georgie leach and in particular for the driving of the aston martin and then later on roger becker who was the lotus engineer who had been sent out to look after the vehicle and of course they sent two out they they needed to have a second vehicle out for as a tracking vehicle they couldn't catch up with it there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss was the problem so the last thing you want to do on a picture like this is under crank the camera and give it that sort of they, they i think they do it once they do it in that lotus chase you know where it's being chased by it's it's a it's a taurus but you know everybody else knows that's a cortina mate that's what you're doing you're trying to catch a lotus in a cortina and so they did kind of under crank it a touch so it went slightly faster than maybe it should have done but george leach is a very good driver but there are things that he couldn't do that Roger Becker could do because he was test driver for the for Lotus. And vice versely, that moment when he pulls out round the mattress truck and drives it, that's George Leach because he's a stuntman, whereas Roger Becker isn't, you know, and you there's split mm. second timing and he has to be in communication with the on the oncoming truck and the driver of that truck as well. So there's there's all of that to be to take into consideration. And Martin Grace then once again pops up as the motorcyclist with uh, oh, right. with the bomb on it so he's really busy in the picture <laughs> uh, but one of my favorite stories from that is um uh, my pal royal on it was his first bond and in that big end fight inside the tanker 
he's playing one of the able seamen and throws a grenade which explodes and what should have happened in the take was that he throws the grenade and then there's a a burst of gunfire and he gets gunshots across his chest and falls to the floor well only one of them went off he had a blood he had half a dozen blood squibs and only one of them went off and he died very excitedly threw himself through the air and of course you know, he died from effectively a flesh wound. Was that was the issue? <laughs> now, this is the in the old days of Pinewood. Of course, I you probably couldn't do this anymore. Uh, you, Roy, as a stunt performer, wandered about the building because you could, and ended up in the editing suite, <laughs> and was there with John Glenn and Lewis Gilbert. Wandered in to see what the lads were doing because it was that kind of thing. And Lewis, God love him, was you know liked everybody and quite liked Roy very much. But, uh, anyway, they he said, I don't think we'd be able to use a great deal of that sequence, Roy, because obviously the the squib didn't go off there. And he said, oh, that's, a, that's a shame. He said, uh, you know, because I've only come down for a couple of days. Of course, Roy lived in Leeds. Now, as far as as far as uh, Lewis was concerned, that was like Timbuktu. So he said to John Glenn. You know, if we can salvage any of that, it would be lovely because Roy's come all this way. All this way. It's Leeds. You know, it's not, <laughs> not the back of beyond. And anyway, so they managed to keep it in the, sh- in, the, in the film where he throws the grenade and then it cuts to an explosion and then cuts to something else. So he got his face on screen. But that, that was those sort of things that you could do back then. But it's, you know, and there's, there's a lot going on inside that, um, inside the tanker. There's the stair falls, there's the fire jobs, Dave Brandon being set on fire and, uh, and uh, that was technically a partial body burn, but that flamethrower that came out looked like it would, you know, burn a house with that uh, when it came out. Of course, he got part of it, but it's terrific. I mean, really, really great stuff. And that's what I used to like about those movies was the uh, you always wait for the big overall fight at the end, you know, the yeah. boiler suit battle, and uh, it doesn't doesn't let doesn't let you down by any state of the imagination. Going going back, I mean, I, I didn't quite appreciate that Martin Grace did so much, but I. I also think, particularly with the the opening that, that you mentioned, without all that amazing ski chase before the jump, it's not as good, is it? Doesn't you know, work. You've got to have the build up. You've got to have the the descent as well. You've got to prove and, to the audience at this point. Yes. After he stands in the doorway and says, "So does England," and then he goes. Yes. Right. The audience has to know that he's he's on his top game. He really yeah. is the man. Nobody does the, it better. Exactly. No, that's the whole. That's the premise. It's the theme of the of the of the film. It is the theme that runs through the film. Nobody does it better than Bond. And then he has to prove that in those moments. He's got this team of, you know, uh, Russian hit team coming along, who r- remarkably left their ski poles where they are. They don't have any ski poles. They just arrive at the top of the mountain and go. Somebody go, Sergey. Was this your? Where's the ski <laughs> poles? Did you not bring them? I've got the macaroons and the sandwiches. Why didn't you bring them in? <laughs> um, and then off they go, you know, and he has to get rid of them and that whole ski chase and Willie Bogner again, doing what he does best by creating something, a chase out of very little, you know, watching somebody ski from there to there could be 150 meters, that point to this point here, but you have to do it in such a way that it looks fantastic, you know, and he manages to do that and catches it. Uh, I don't think there's a better man on the planet for catching that sort of work on snow. He's spectacular. So yeah, it's a it's a huge moment, and certainly whatever had gone before, they was trying top each movie. Well, this this certainly pushed the boundaries right up there. We better move on to Moonraker, I think. And you, you mentioned the you know topping the last one. I think that's probably what they tried to do. Well, 
maybe not top it, but do something as audacious, but in a completely different scenario. Yeah. Something that's massively dangerous, that is real and hadn't been done before. We're also talking about the free fall of, of Bond and Jaws again, of course. Bond and Jaws and the uh, and the pilot of the plane. And of course, um, yeah. the, the original run for, for uh, the original idea for Moonraker wouldn't have had this in it at all. It would have been the BD jets. It would have been the Acrostar jet. That was the one that they were going to go, right, we're going to do this. And again, only on the basis that uh, Star Wars was so successful, we need yeah. to go to space. We need everybody else has got a success in space. Why don't we? And again, it's Michael Wilson has to be thanked for this because he is so much more than just a name on the credits. He is a really, a real hands-on producer. He's not just the guy that says, you know, buy, we need this, on the man on the phone the whole time. He physically goes and finds these people out. He practically, I think he did find, was it Jake Lombard first or BJ Worth? One or the other. He found one of them. The fact that they were all Olympic specialists and they were they were the, the, the world champions and pitched to them this idea and said, look, has this ever been done? And they said, no. Is it something we can create? Maybe. Okay. If we got together and came up with a plan, could we, could we go through it? And he spent eight, ten weeks with them just brainstorming and coming up with ideas about how we can get this scene if we had something like this how quickly can we get shots done how quickly do you need to get movement done before you then have to break away and and open the shoot where do we get a camera from do we do we do we have a static camera on the plane catching what goes on or or do we have cameras around people's necks like they used to do in the army when they were doing world war ii those type of reconnaissance shots or do we have to come up with something different of course and again he was the man responsible for finding the right lens that could be used on a Panasonic camera and he found it in a junk shop on a second hand shop in Paris while he was you know, perusing one day and, and suddenly found this and thought ah that's interesting I wonder if we could use that and again going back to them saying right we've got this now so you've got the two leads you've got BJ and you've got Jake uh, BJ being the pilot or doubling the pilot jake doubling bond you then have to have you have to have a cameraman you have to have somebody yeah. who is in a situation to do that and of course they have to find a situation where they can mount the camera uh and randy deluca was the guy that they found where they had to create a camera mounting and one that I mean, it weighed so much i mean it, it must have been like having yeah. two heads the extraordinary weight and the training that he had to go through and if you liken this to um Formula One drivers, they have to have extraordinary neck strength because when they go into corners, they in certain corners, in certain racetracks, they could be pulling three or four Gs in uh, a, a, a matter of seconds from nothing at all. Similarly with uh, skydivers, and this is what he has to work on because he has this great weight on, which then applies additional issues because when the parachute opens – his chute has to open slowly, not slowly so that it doesn't open, but slow enough to prevent his head from being whipped back and breaking his neck, which, as you can appreciate, is a bit of a downer. You know, uh, they, they, if you read the small print, may cause death. Ah, right. Okay, so I'm going to have to do something about that. So they very simply created a loose cabling string originally that okay it comes out but then it opens slower than usual and now it's open that's just enough for him to get into a position where he can prepare himself or brace himself according you know how many jumps did they do 500 600 jumps something like that yeah. three, and a, three and a half I mean, second shots yeah. very quick months, wasn't it 
Oh, it, magnificent. It was on magnificent. Soon. In the, um, in the, in the Napa Valley, wasn't it? Napa Valley, Napa yeah. Valley, yeah. Um, they wanted incredible. they wanted some area where they were they they could they were yeah. happy with, you know, was looked good. Uh, was in you know um needed to be good weather so they could get lots of long shots they could show the audience look we're really in the air we're not faking yeah. this that we are really in the air and so once you've got uh, as jake lombard said there you know there i am fighting bj and i'm fighting him over a parachute and there's bugger all in the parachute it's empty you know they're fighting over an empty parachute for the purpose of the exercise they have developed a wardrobe that is underneath so that the parachute has to open underneath the clothing so if there's a a couple of frames where jake and bj are struggling and you can just see the cabling and the wiring and everything that's just underneath the jacket particularly on jake and he's got some clasps which are holding the parachute underneath his jacket, underneath his shirt. All of that has been designed accordingly because not only does it open at the back, but it opens partway at the front as well. These are Velcro straps now anyway, Velcro straps which they rip apart, but they allow the chute to open easily. So there's no constriction with that. And then once you've got that first part, then you've got to have Jaws joining them. <laughs> now Jaws, again, is seven foot, seven foot two. You don't have skydivers that tall, and, and that's a problem, you know? Yeah. So, you know, how do you proportion that? How do you make it look as though the guy that you have is much, much bigger? Well, you find someone who's just over six feet tall, and this was BJ. BJ said, when you get to the full extent when you've stretched your arms out, pop your wrists down. And bizarrely, it gave that impression that it looked – Pop them down. So instead of holding them up, you yeah, yeah. down at the wrist. Oh, okay. And he said yeah. it's quite weird, but it gives that impression <laughs> that you're you're you know trying to monster. do that sort of Frankenstein type walking <laughs> upright or standing upright. And it gives that sort of monstery thing. The other thing that Ronnie Luganbull was the was the guy who was uh, who was doubling for Richard Keel. He also had to have a mouthpiece, which of course yeah. had silver on it. it. Didn't quite have to get to the extent where where Richard Keel had to have these terrible silver teeth that made him gag all the time and were really uncomfortable. But, you know, when you're traveling at, at uh, 140 miles an hour and you've got this thing and you have to have your mouth open, it's not unusual for the whole thing to go and disappear out of your mouth, you know? So they had to have a little thing over the bottom of his tongue to hold the bottom shelf of this thing in place so it wouldn't go anywhere. So, he, you know, even more constricting because you've got something else in your mouth that's annoying you that you don't want to worry about because you're busy doing this. You know, you're busy pretending to be big. And then, of course, you know, the final instruction, or to him anyway, was that you've pulled the ripcord, the ripcord comes away in your hand, and you must now flap your wings like a bird. <laughs> and he goes, what? <laughs> I'm not making this up. It's here in the script. And he went, uh, okay. So they kind of worked it out a couple of times. And I think that was the second or third take for that whole – I love the expression on his face, that whole thing. Of, <laughs> no, yeah. no, that's not supposed to happen. But then this whole bird flapping thing was a very strange thing. But, again, comedic, you know, this comedic throwaway yeah. moment of this extraordinary sequence that they've just done. And and every that, – that was a breakthrough moment. Every single – movie every television thing anything you have ever seen since then has been based on that fight that's that's wow. how how uh, ingenious it was every movie you know all of those uh, uh, terrific skydive movies that people see and, and the cars coming out of the back and you've got um, people on bonnets of cars it all started with this is exactly the same principle those parachutes are underneath the costume they, they're hidden. The same principle with reference to photography. Now a bit more CGI, but that's how they do it. And um, it is a 
an absolutely extraordinary cinematic moment. And I don't think that um, BJ and Jake really get the same the recognition that they deserve. It's it's uh, quite extraordinary. Wearing brogues as well. I think that's <laughs> crucial. Wearing yeah. brogues is crucial whatever fly. you're doing, really. It does, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's Roger again. It, it sells that it's Roger with a polo neck. And yep. Just He's, that image of him to the bomb theme when he sort of moves down. Again, oh. accidentally, uh, Jake <laughs> said, you know, I, I put myself into into the the, uh, the the dive. That's the dive position, yeah, and, which yeah. is exactly what happened. And people <laughs> laughed at it. You know, it was considered laugh. And then there was an article had turned up in uh, I don't know, skydiving biweekly or whatever they used to have, yeah, whatever, yeah. That, whatever that magazine was that you know you had BMX biweekly and all that sort of stuff, or computer and video games. That whatever it was for the skydiving market, that was the uh, the big article in there. He and a bunch of other guys were explaining, oh no, no, when you put your hands into this position, you go faster, and then you adjust the positioning of your feet a bit like a tail on an aircraft. You know, you can adjust it, and you will therefore adjust the pitch and flow. And go, ah, that's clever. All of a sudden people are now going oh you know what this is actually very serious this is a this is a, an amazing yeah. piece of stuff that they're, they're they're it's a teaching it's an exercise you know in how to skydive it's brilliant but they all of this taught for the on screen it's remarkable sequence I, I imagine it would probably be remembered more if it wasn't for the fact that the film then goes into space so people always talk about moonraker yeah. talk about oh, the other one where he goes into space i, I love moonraker um but i think almost that detracts slightly from that incredible stunt at the beginning yeah. because it's what people remember is, is, isn't going up in, into the space station rather than actually put the, the, the yeah. astonishing stunt at the beginning, which well, is, is so great for start. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's great fun. You know, it is a great fun movie from start to finish. And th- although that, uh, that gag at the start of the picture is mind blowing, you then have a moment later on where you have the shuttle taking off and you've got all this smoke coming out of it as it's going up into space yeah. and it's salt. You know, that's the beauty <laughs> of the whole thing. Derek Meddings has created this thing where he said, I've got an idea about how we can make this look good. Okay. And how they undercrank the, the, the move, the, 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 the film in the camera, in camera, not afterwards in camera. Yeah, yeah. We take this shot, we crank it back. We now take another shot, we crank it back and do again. And you have layering, so that moment when they're they're in space and there's there's uh, another shuttle in the background and there's the uh, space station and there's the Earth behind all filmed oh. separately. You go, wow, this is a fantastic. There are people cr- trying to create that now in programs to be able to make that done. He was doing it practically in camera. Oh. These are these are trailblazers, you know. Uh, and it's brilliant because uh, I'm a big fan of miniatures. I'm obsessed with model effects, but some of the foreground miniatures and false perspective yeah. in that film. I've got Peter Lamont's book, and there's some great shots in there. And, and I, you just can't believe. And even when I, even now I know, and I watch the film, I'm staring at the screen, thinking, "So that's a model that's really close oh. to the camera, and they're really yes. far away, but it Brilliant. looks the other way around." I'm, yeah. I'm not having that. <laughs> no, because the, the logic says, oh, "Really? Oh, come on! It's got to be simpler than that." And it goes yeah. back to theatre. You know, it's just right the way back to those those days of theatre where we need to create the illusion that. Through that window is the countryside, or through that window is the uh, is the Imperial State Palace, or you know whatever it is, and you do that by creating something that giving the impression of distance, and that's exactly what they've done here. They've remembered it from the old days of the Ealing comedies, or from those classic movies of the thirties and forties where they were doing it all the time. I tell you, another one that does it all the time is the Keystone Cops. Keith Max oh, Sennett started John that Lord's whole favorite. thing. 
years you know that that sort of stuff if you go and check out those silent pictures with the keystone cops you'll see shots you go bloody hell what a set it's not a set at all it's just a series of paintings but they put them all back on you know they back and back at each other and it gives the impression of distance very very clever and that you know if it ain't again if it ain't broke don't change it let's keep doing it yeah. until we find a better way of doing it the lighting as well to reveal the, you know the the space station you know again it's it's not showing some of this massive thing that, sh- that eats up all the screen. It's like just a speck of light on it in the distance gradually being revealed. Mm. It's just unbelievable. Again, you know, and obviously John Barry's score is... John Barry's score is... Uh, that that particular track is sensational. From uh, the previous film, of course, um, Stanley Kubrick was responsible for, for the, the reasoning behind that sudden bang of light when the tanker yeah. the inside of the tanker is revealed yeah and, of course um, they they maybe want to you know we'll, we'll do it a different way this time and they just slight piece of it and then sl- opening slightly oh, further yeah. further it's beautiful it's very I'm right in saying that it set a record for the number of people filmed in a studio all on cables you know because they're all supposed to be, uh, oh yeah would, would, would it, they it would have been men or would they have been dancers or what they would have been a combination of both there was a, because it was a, an anglo-french uh production so there had to be a number of french stuntmen in there as well to balance the books so majority of the um background artists stunt people are french it would have been a great bonus for, for people to have to have had uh dance training although there wasn't an awful lot of call for wire work in you know there wasn't a Cirque du Soleil or something of that nature that yeah. we would have now so they would have to have poise posture balance you know they would have to be aware of their surroundings and if somebody says you need to be looking in that direction but steering in this direction and i need you to end up looking like this you know you'd have to do a certain amount of things in here but to make everything else work correctly there's there's a lot of there's a lot of dummy work in that as well there's there's quite a few i'm, I'm concerned about that poor bloke that it's on the ladder when Jaws throws the ladder backwards. I mean, it's 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 really not a very good shot window dummy. It's actually very even even in in on VHS. You go, was that a dummy? I mean, it was, I haven't yeah, noticed the, that now. Really? Oh, I'm afraid so. Yeah, have a quick shift at that when he pulls the ladder back. And you go because uh, the cut <laughs> the cut from the guy climbing the ladder to whatever that is that falls over is actually a yeah, long I fall period for everything. I'm the I'm the greatest cinema yeah. viewer because I never I never suspect anything and I just go with it all. Uh, I, I, I've always worked on the basis that everybody lies. And so if you can work <laughs> yeah. on that basis and then you see the, the picture on a number of occasions to go, I'm going to prove that this is a lie. And then you go, ah, look, there it is. People in space, they're, they're not actually floating. It's not, it isn't in slow motion, is it? They're actually acting as if they're, they well yeah they are at the, 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 I, remember the, the uh, I remember that, uh, the sequence at the end with the, or the space laser battle, uh, yeah. which was filmed at Pinewood. Uh, on the 007 stage. I know Rocky Taylor had been there and there'd been uh, a couple of other stunt guys had been in and, and done a day just in the space suit. And Paul Weston's in it half a dozen times, but uh, in the space suit and, and being, you know, moved from position to position from above. So they were, they were moving from above. You couldn't see the cabling. So it made life a lot simpler, but there were, there's, there's one, there's a, a couple of shots, one of which is a guy who appears to be falling into the sun, uh, if you remember. <laughs> and so he he had to, it was almost cranked, the cable or the wire or whatever they were using had to, had to unravel in such a way that he would fall in that peculiar way. And of course, again, Derek Meddings, these are quite thick pieces of cable. 
that they had maybe back then. Uh, later on, they try. Well, what happens if we see it? We'll we'll make it very small. So by the start of the eighties, they were using piano wire, which wasn't very small at all. You know, which, which I'm sorry, was very very thin. Uh, and Derek Meddings has had to physically, you know, move some of these again. Put something in front of it. Put a star in front of it. Put a, a piece of black in front of it, so that when it moves and you've got everything else in front, you can't see it. So lots of clever stuff that they were doing. And then, of course, on the other extreme of that, you have um, again the physical stunt work that uh, that's the cable car. You know? Yeah, I was going to mention it. And the fact that right, we're going to have three people on top of a cable car. Okay, we can do that, and they do it in the studio, and then they do it on location at the actual Sugarloaf. You know, uh, three and a half thousand feet above the ground. Dicky Grade is uh, is doubling for Bond because he's relatively small. So again, proportion. And also, he needs to be quite small because Martin Grace is doubling for Richard Keel. Again, here, uh, Martin's slightly taller, so there's proportion there again. In the studio, Paul Weston will double for Jaws. Uh, again, Martin will will uh, will be for there. And uh, Dorothy Ford is doubling for Dr. Goodhead. So that's the situation. And they are aware, and Dickie's aware, that he has to... Uh, hang on he's got to go over the side of this thing and hang on he has a cable quite a thick cable he has a wire he has a lock-off point that's been attached to the side of it and never uses it oh wow okay for reasons better known to somebody else <laughs> and action and over he went way because he's doing it for real you know and as far as he was concerned in order for him to get a uh in order for him to get a, a good take or a better response from him in the character so he goes over the side and hangs on for real so he's physically hanging on the side there and then you know she's pulling him up or trying to pull him up and he climbs back up again but there's no cable he's you know you can see the cable there's footage of him on the roof and you can see that he has a cable it's not attached to the whole thing you know? <laughs> so i mean dickie graden's a fabulous character but or was a fabulous character he's no longer with us but th- those type of things he was kind of you know he was always um one of those characters that would say yeah it's all right i can he's a great abseiler abseiling was one of his things and so hanging off the side of a, of a of a cable car that height was no problem to him whatsoever and yeah this that that fight itself and then of course to, to go back to the studio then paul weston has to jump from one cable car to the other <laughs> because you can't do that because the gap is 19 feet between the two cable cars. <laughs> so he has to stand on the cables above the cable car, has a mini trampoline called a trampette, which would normally be facing upright and you bounce and go this way. Well, he needs to go that way. So he has to have it facing downwards, pro- projecting him forwards. And he jumps down, hits the tramp, and then goes over and just gets to the other side you know giving his uh, giving his toes a whack on the way over but you know got the shot done but all again all back projection and um it, it looks a slightly funny angle as it is that and you know what i mean it doesn't look quite natural I've, i actually assumed it was done with richard keel and he had a cable and they, they got rid of the cable later from the shot because mm. do you know what i mean is something about that jump and maybe because um, yeah the hand i can't quite work it out but it just doesn't look quite natural it's that so he, yeah. he hits he hits the hits the bottom of the trampoline and does that as he's going across. Now you don't see him come from above to that point. No. So the only edit you see is like he's doing yeah. this. Yeah. And then he jumps, you know, so that's where he's coming down from. It must uh, be the momentum then, because you've not got, as you say, the previous, the landing, so it's a yeah. weird kind of momentum. You've not that got that like... the, the impetus to then carry you across the other side. But I mean again, that was you know, they were ten feet up. Mm. And that they were they were um, proper size cable cars as well you know so they'd created this thing in real 
and uh, even though there's boxes and pads and all sorts down there you wouldn't want to fall off the damn thing or, or, or clatter it on the way over so having to be very very precise about that and uh, Paul's quite tall you know so he could pass himself off as uh, as that from a di- as Richard Keel from a distance so uh, but I must mention that of course that we said Anglo Anglo French Claude Carlet was the assistant stunt coordinator who was the uh, he's, he's the French side if you will Bob Simmons in charge of the UK side Claude is in charge of the French side he appears in it as the ball swinging gaucho oh, right, yeah. who does that you know that was one take yeah. he was pretty good at these things <laughs> I love that bang as it goes off when it goes when it wraps around his head so yeah he was in that he does uh, a lot of the action in the picture and then there's another guy called Daniel Breton who is um, again appears as one of the guards he's also um, the guy in the gondola with Dorothy Ford who's uh, uh, having a little moment as the boat goes through the middle and Claude oh, actually, yeah. Claude's at the other end. Uh, he's the gondolier that then ends up in the water. So they, they mess about with the whole bits and pieces. But my favourite story from... We'll move on. But my favourite story from Moonraker <laughs> is the python thing, right? Mm-hmm. I have a fear of snakes. I've never liked snakes. I don't care whether they're sweet and cute. They are all out to kill me, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. I want no part of them. Howard yeah. Curtis... Howard Curtis, who uh, was the stuntman who was doubling for Roger in Florida. So they had two shots. They had studio shots, so Roger and the draft excluder. And then in Florida, in a place called Silver Springs, they have this placid python, as it's referred to, and uh, Howard Curtis. Howard Curtis, for those people who don't know, if you've seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, he doubles Paul Newman as they jump from the cliffs. Howard Curtis is the stuntman who's doubling for Roger in in Florida. He's not keen on snakes, right? As a stuntman, you are prepared for most things. You train, you make sure your physical fitness is right, you make sure your mental capacity is right, because it's a big it's a big thing for it's a big juxtaposition for everything, physically and mentally. You are particularly good in certain areas. You uh, you're very good at fencing, your sword plays very good, horsework, cars, fire, falling, whatever it is, you prepare yourself and you can train accordingly. Nothing prepares you for when somebody says, We need you to fight a python. Now, there's two ways of doing this. First, you can go, oh, my fuck. Or you can go, uh, okay, we'll find a way of doing this. Now, Howard, never one to turn down a challenge, had said there's got to be an easier way of doing this, goes to the wrangler, snake wrangler, who, who I think uh, wasn't necessarily a wrangler, more the guy that owned the snake, <laughs> uh, as opposed to the guy who trained the snake, and said, look, you know, I'm going to have to fight this thing. What the hell am I going to do? This guy says to him, don't worry, Howard, just you get yourself in the water and splash like hell. She'll find you. <laughs> right. Um, that's that's really not very comforting at all because snakes don't see terribly well and they work on the same basis as sharks do where they, they have this sort of, if you thrash about in the water, they go, what's that? And then they go in that direction. He doesn't want her finding him. He's, you know, he's the, no, you don't. You don't want a, a 12, 15-foot python finding him. Anyway. They found this pool and they had, they checked the pool firstly, which was on this, uh, it's on a development, I think was a, an area owned by this individual company. And they cleared this pool of anything else. It was just Howard and the snake. He got in, he starts to thrash and there she is. And she finds him, but it turns out that when she does find him, she's not remotely, because she's eaten. You know, firstly, she's not hungry. They eat like five times a year, big meals anyway, all this thing oh, does. Wow. And so she's not very bothered about it. But, you know, he has to react 
like he's being attacked by a python. <laughs> so he has to grab hold of her. And he has, you see it in the fight itself. It's yeah. more him wrapping her around him. Yeah. <laughs> There's not much of her, you know, trying to kill him. No, no, no. He's trying to maneuver her and make her look like she's fighting him and giving it all this, which is quite weird. Uh, and, you know, he said that sort of thing that I suppose Connery did back in Thunderball was that, you know, when I got out, I was nearly dry because I couldn't <laughs> wait to get out of the water. It was just the most horrible, yeah. horrible experience. But things like that, people don't necessarily... And, of course, you you then cut back to the studio shots and Roger's fighting with this rubber hose. Yeah. You know, it's got this face on it that looks like it's been contorted and he's putting the stabbing him with a yeah. pen and all that sort of stuff. And it does this and then he swims away and then it's comedy again. And, and also, that, I mean, I, to be honest, I just assumed it was a fake python through the whole scene. You know, yeah, I did, yeah. Because, as you say, he's having to wrestle yeah, it onto so, him uh, yeah. and make it look like it's attacking him. You now realize yeah. they could have probably shot the whole thing with a rubber python. And, to be fair, they probably could have shot the whole thing with Roger at Pinewood in a tank. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's no, brilliant they, that they tried to do it with a real snake. I mean, it's mad as well. Yeah. Um, decided that's but what isn't that great do. to show the lengths they went to? And, and now when I watch it again, actually compared to, to what you've ruined for me with the um, <laughs> the dummy in, in the yeah. scene earlier, That's, this, this my is work a scene here that will now probably be improved. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if there's anything else you need ruining, I'm always here, you know, <laughs> just a phone call. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's, for me, Moonraker has, has many you know, many great moments and, and many p- peculiar moments, but that certainly for me is, <laughs> is one of those ones that sticks in my mind because you can't, again, you're going to do this now, but I can't watch it the same way ever again. Mm. I've never been able mm-hmm. to do that. And I, with this type of thing, I'm always spotting people's faces or going, ah, I know what's going to happen now because so-and-so's turned up. He's going to die in a minute. You know, you just know you, you tend to get that a lot, but um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's great fun. They don't make them like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but the, do you know the flip side is now it would be a CGI snake. They wouldn't bother trying. Oh, it, yeah. would, it, would look, it would look bad for another reason. You know, yeah. I hate it. As soon as you can see something CGI, I, I've lost interest, you know. It's got Although, you know, even right. though it would be a CGI, I mean, I, I tell you, I don't like snakes. I've never liked snakes. I never will. I saw um, about 10 minutes of snakes on a plane. I was out of it. I thought, no, thank you very much. And even though going in, I knew that the anaconda in anaconda was, you know, mechanical or whatever the hell it was, scared the bejesus out of me and I left. Yeah, well. So I, I physically can't do it. So my my hat's off to anybody who can. And certainly, again, sadly, Howard is no longer with us, Howard Curtis, but uh, I, I salute you for doing for even attempting it at the time. That was uh, fair play to you for doing that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a snake lover. That that would be my I'm a celebrity getting out for your moment would be if there's yeah, yeah. a load of snakes. I'm straight out of there. Snakes! <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's rats. So uh, give Daniel credit, kudos for at least uh, having a chat with a rat in Spectre. That's about as brave as he's ever been for me. <laughs> <laughs> it was a CGI rat, though, to be fair. But yes. Oh, well, yeah. of course it was. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. <laughs> Not like the one in Dan's off forever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ah, yes. Ratatouille is one of my favourites. I want to know we could have had a, the, the talking rat from that doing the... Um, yeah. One of us smells like a tart's handkerchief. Well, it's not me. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Scared you of me. Sorry about that, old boy. <laughs> But yeah, the 80s and few eyes only. We've mentioned Willie Bogner. Of course, he's going to do more stuff with the ski section, which mm. is simply terrific. You've got that. You've got the, the car chase, you know, the driving the country, which is unbelievable. The mountaineering section is, is probably my favourite 
part of the film, and Rick Sylvester came back for that one. So there's there's so much in Fury Eyes Only because it was again more grounded, wasn't it? Yeah, a, a large portion of it was Martin Grace hanging on for real onto the side of an airplane. Uh, that yeah. that chopper there. At, oh yeah, yeah, of course. And, yeah. Gas and they had to design a special wheelchair because uh, Mark Wolf, who was who was flying the chopper, was obviously having initial difficulty in being able to get Malcolm Weaver, who was the stuntman who was in for Blofeld, up, you know, and levelling the, the chopper out and holding it steady. So that's why there's one shot in there where, you know, keep your hair on, it comes out and it's very clearly a dummy sat in a, yeah, sat in a wheelchair, that. you know. Yeah, they had a real wheelchair going along when he's being chased by the helicopter and then when it yeah. arrives, it's an aluminium frame, a lightweight frame. The film's full of those moments and, and again, another one in the arm for, uh, for, for John Glenn because... He brought uh, Remy Julien in, in, into the, yeah. the bonds. Yeah, you know, had had seen his work, had realised how massively important his work was, and then to give him effective carte blanche when it came to creating a chase scene. I'm afraid we're being outpaced. It's the little guy against the rest. You know, we're going to give Bond the silliest, daftest car. Also, interesting point here, which I, I, I just from a plot point of view, this is supposed to be Spain, right? Where yeah. in, it's at Greece, obviously they're filming it in Corfu, but it's yeah. supposed to be um, uh, Spain. And Melina is there and has driven, presumably, is it her car? Is it a. Um, she knows, you know, go backwards, forwards quickly. She knows it's all these little things about it. But f- firstly, how the hell did she get it from. <laughs> Greece to Spain, right? And if it is a higher car, you'd want your money back, wouldn't you? I mean, it's a terrible (laughs) little thing. It's the weirdest moment. I I, I thought about that the other week when I watched it. I thought, hang on, is this her car? How does she know this? Miles away. Parents have got a yacht, so I think they're probably not short of money. (laughs) Parents have got a yacht. She's got this thing. Should be easy if she'd hitchhiked. Anyway, I think there's two CVs, or, or if it was Diane, I can't can't remember the difference. Somebody do the shape of the lights, I think. But they were a bit like Beatles, weren't they? Didn't they? Yeah, they, they, they crossed yeah. class. They were you know, yeah. they split up after one. four albums. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see what you mean, Beatles. Yes. Yeah, that's right. They are. They're a very iconic looking vehicle, and I think you know. Again, it wouldn't have been out of play. In fact, there is. There's uh, so you've got the two CV, and people go, ah, France. Right, they, uh, they, it's a French yeah. car, right? Yeah, there is that that type of thing. You, you only need to see somebody wearing a beret and carrying onions and go, aha, French. You know, they oh, do that thing. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> so I think that's one of those things that maybe you know they, they attach certain things to it. But the idea that you give she's driving the car at first, it's her vehicle. I don't suppose you have a car. He throws his keys away, and there is that car. And the, the score goes, ha, 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 as if yeah. go, oh dear, we're having a comedic moment, right? <laughs> so, you know, they get in the car and she drives off and they're being out horsepower and all that sort of bits and pieces. Take the low road and he turns it over. Right. Now, it's equipped, you know, it's 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 very well equipped, this 2CV, with, with a full roll cage. That's a real piece of road. People have been there. You've seen photographs of it itself. In the background, there's a couple of stunt guys in the background, one of which is Greg Powell, who chases Roger through the undergrowth just before firing the... Uh, he gets hit by Melina's uh, arrow. So he then gets in. You don't mind if I drive, do you? He gets in, and off it goes. And they get to the bottom of the road. He handbrake turns it round a left turn, and... She looks at him and looks at the car and in her head says, I can't make my car do this. How are you making it? And I think that's a statement. 
that's a statement of saying, look, Bond can do anything, and when he gets into anything, he makes it better. You know, so they're kind of, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if the sale of two CVs went up after, you know, yeah. like a like a like a drive, a publicity drive. But also, I think Remy was was very keen on getting something that was, you know, a, a good shape, simple to to engineer to create to put all these bits and pieces in and to you know make it stand up they are being out horsepower they shouldn't be they shouldn't be getting away from a uh, from a fleet of Peugeots, but they are why because bonds behind the wheel you know so that's the that's the whole deal but some lovely moments great off off-roading stuff and reme had invented the catch rig for for vehicles uh, stuntmen have been falling into boxes and airbags for some time. Well, now he has. He does, you know, you have these good vehicles. You don't want to get rid of them. You don't want to just. You know, that you're not preparing it for one gag unless it's being, you know, exploded or, or it's being demolished. We want to use it over and over again. We haven't got a fleet of them. I think that's another reason why why John Glenn liked it because he, he, you know, he he was very economical when it came to bringing those vehicles with him. So he created a box rig which the vehicles would then jump and land into. Boxes could be removed, car could be removed, go back to the first part, build the boxes again, start again. So you had that option of being able to do multiple takes if you wanted to. So they did that with the 2CV jumping the road. They did that with the car jumping and then ultimately landing in the tree. And it's got some... It, it won action sequence awards. Uh, I remember back in the BAFTAs in the early 80s, best editing for that particular sequence it won. You know, it's, it was a groundbreaking moment. A terrific, a wonderful stuff. Mm. But yeah, the skiing as well. Willie Bogner coming back and doing the whole ski sequence. And again, Reme being pretty much responsible for all of that vehicular. All of his boys, um, Dominic uh, Julien is is, uh, is riding one of the motorcycles on the Bob sleigh. He's riding the motorcycle on there. Johnny Eaves now doubles uh, Roger Moore. Johnny was a world champion freestyle skier. Anything you ask him to do, he can do. There is no issue with it, doesn't matter what you want to ask him to do. I'll do it. It's fine. So he does all of that. One thing, there's, uh, they're going through the trees. He's skiing through the trees, and he gets his ski pole and puts it on between two trees. Oh, yeah. Right now, the guy coming through there is a motorcyclist called Wolfgang Juginger, a, a German guy. He comes through, <laughs> and that dismount is real. You know, that's oh, him no. falling from the motorcycle at speed, and it's a long shot. You know, you see. One motorcycle coming down and bond in the in the foreground. In the distance, you see the other motorcycle. It's going end over end, and this guy's like a rag doll being thrown down this thing. You go, Jesus! And it's a moment. It's just a yeah. moment. But the noise for real. Lovely. Oh, but <laughs> done for real. Extraordinary. Yeah. So Johnny Eve's doubling Bond, and of course they they had um, sadly there was there was a there was a death on the picture when one of the guys in the the, the bobsleigh um, overturned and trapped Paolo Rajon underneath he wasn't able to get free or they they weren't able to get to him he died later on in hospital so it was an unfortunate situation it was an accident i mean there was no doubt about that there aren't that many details about what had happened obviously you know the, the, the family don't want to talk about it and certainly um united artists aren't very keen on talking about it either so it's kind of shroud in secrecy mm. at, the, at this stage it's it's nobody should die when making a movie you know and that's that's very yeah. that's why there are these safety measures put in place but this was an accident so we're told that was the situation but the rest of that sequence you know when you see bond on skis followed by a bobsleigh followed by a motorcycle on a bobsled run you know go, never seen that before it's amazing and it's one of the there are those images you know the whole three of them snaking around this thing yeah, a spectacular. My other favourite sequence is the is the sequence that's taken out of the book of Live and Let Die, which of course is being dragged behind the boat. 
Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Which is, a, which is a great sequence in the book, but it's a, it's a very good sequence filmed. I didn't think it would end like this. We're not dead yet. And bear in mind, again, Derek Medding's coming to his fore here, but, you know, she, she, can't, she can't be underwater. Oh yeah, she has yeah. a problem. She cannot go underwater. She was it her was it her inner ear? She has issues with her inner ear. Unable to um, I forget what the technical phrase is, but she's unable to go underwater. Mm. Consequently, that entire underwater sequence where you see her and Roger is filmed in a studio at Pinewood. That is spectacular I because I didn't know until about fifteen twenty years later. Yeah, and you go really? That is so real. The bubbles are brilliant. Everything about it. That's says, amazing. That's filmed on. So they've, they've they've put presumably put water in front of the lens, you know, through some tank there in front of that, and then cranked the camera up there. Or? It's uh, it's it's Football air blowers. Blowing. They're blowing air at them. They're wow. blowing air at them, similarly to the way that Roger had air blown at him when he was in the centrifuge in Moonraker. Mm. Oh yeah. Uh, so there was a, a an air machine being fired at him from over there, which caused his cheeks to puff up and give that sort of impression. Oh. Of, this is what your face might look like if you were doing seven Gs, right? I think just just to mention Roger Moore's performance at the end of that oh, scene when oh. he gets out, I think yeah. it's the, the best acting I've ever seen from Roger yeah. Moore. It's unbelievable. Always, but that was yeah, stunning. Really he he does actually look like he's been you know dragged yeah. through a hedge backwards and he's in yeah. a real serious state and doesn't know where he is. So you know, no, he doesn't want to talk to Holly, does he? He's like just sort of I, I, I love that. I love that. He doesn't know. Right. Yeah. Sorry, no, I mean, no, detracts no. and gone back to Moonraker. We shouldn't have done no, that. No, no, but <laughs> you're quite right. And, and, and in respect to that. Go back and forward. Yeah. <laughs> back and forward. Well, go back and forward. He isn't the of you to a kill, though, isn't he? <laughs> you know, when you when Zorin and Mayday have dumped the car in the, the water and then Roger Moore's waiting for the... Oh, that yeah. is underwater. No, that's... Yeah, that's, he is underwater. Yes, then, that's right. right. He does that for... He's got no... He, Roger spent he's all right. huge amounts of time <laughs> underwater. In the, uh, <laughs> he does. Up to his ear in... in up to his ears in, yeah. in uh, controversy. But certainly as far as... Uh, Carol Bouquet was concerned. Mm. They had this problem. They had to rectify yeah. it. And Derek Meddings, you know, had these these air blowers blowing so the hair would go in a, a certain direction. Uh, the bubbles were created in post, but they were created again, cranking the camera and putting them in shot. And I oh, think right. they were bubbles washing up liquid bubbles and yeah. varying, varying sizes to create those images and to put them in the right places and, you know, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. But it took me 20 years to, to yeah. find that. I yeah, that, I, well, I need to watch that again. Yeah. Right it's now. a brilliant sequence. The thing that always gets me with that scene is when his back hits the coral and the coral breaks. That to this day makes me cringe like mad. Yeah, it, yeah, it looks yeah. so painful when that because happens. that's exactly what would happen, you know, in, in those yeah, that yeah. type of coral. It would, it would cut you, and that's what what they're 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 banking on, or what Christatos is banking on to bring the sharks in to get some blood in the water. Mm. Now to do that for real, of course, what they then had to do was take those shots that they'd got of Melina and Bond in the studio underwater and couple that with the real action that was being filmed in the Bahamas in this instance oh, where, in they, where they were filming those underwater sequences. The water's clear, I assume. Which is where the water is much clearer. You, you get uh, many more yards of distance that you can film in and they needed clarity to be able to see what exactly what was going on. So you have uh, Gavin McKinney and Francis Young are the two stunt doubles who are being dragged from the back of the plane and behind the boat and the actual underwater sequences intercut with uh, I believe some uh, test footage which was also 
used as well. Martin Grace was in the water, uh, Dorothy Ford was in the water, and Graham Crowther, another stunt guy, was in the water as well. So they were all doing that sequence at one point. But majority of the final print is Gavin McKinney uh, and Francis Young. Gavin McKinney, not his first performance in a Bond film. He's also responsible. I'm going to go back to Spy Who Loved Me for just a second. He's <laughs> also responsible for the first ever underwater car knockdown, which I never, that's a sentence I never thought I'd hear myself yeah. say, but he's the guy that is knocked down by the Lotus underwater yes. in, yeah. uh, in Spy Who Loved Me, which is a really difficult thing to do when you think about it, because yeah. obviously the whole concept of being knocked down by a car is that you're trying not to be knocked down by a car if you're doing it from a film point of view. You're trying to get up on top of the car and, and roll off it, but he has no option because he's buoyant. He has, he has no weight at all. Anyway. So that's him. He will crop up again later on in the series, again doubling for, for Bond. And that's how they filmed that sequence. But, you know, a fascinating sequence. Once again, hurry! Melina, you know, Carol Bouquet, yeah. couldn't go underwater, and then she was dubbed. So, you know, <laughs> she was there's not an awful lot you're left with, are you? But She's, uh, I, uh, uh, she really does not, she does not want, ever want to talk about James Bond either. She, oh, really? Right. She, yeah, she, she hates it. Like, Which is a great shame. It really is. Uh, if you ever go on any interviews with her, she will outright refuse to talk about James wow. Bond and say, I do not want to discuss my time over James Bond. She's, she's not a happy bunny about it. You can cross really? her off the list then, boys. Oh, no. Man. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be controversial and say that I really don't like her in the film. To me, she's... Oh, no. She, I know. I'm sorry, guys. Sorry, she's one of my least favourite actresses in the Bond film. doesn't like the film, no. I, uh, I love the film. She, for me, is the one let down. I, I beautiful, think, absolutely beautiful, but just no what, charisma. And what were you expecting from her? I just think if you look at some of the actresses in the Bond films, they bring so much. You know, um, in the Spy Love Me, I think she's terrific. Barbara Back, I think she's just got real character and zest. And, and then obviously the Timothy Dalton women are all superb. Wow. The ladies, Holly Goodhead, I think she's really comes across really well. You know, I, I just think Carol Bouquet yeah. just offers nothing. When she's and now I know she doesn't even go underwater. Incredible acting. You were fine up until you realised she didn't go underwater. Yeah, now. that was the tipping <laughs> point. That was, that's the, it. That was the Carol, you've broke blown down it, love. Yeah. Although she did become the face of Chanel. Now. So, she's still yeah, the I, face. You're still the face of Chanel. I think. I saw her. I think I've mentioned this before. She was in. They did a remake, like a TV serial of Rosemary's Baby, with her and Jason Isaacs as the sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a sequel. Yeah, Zoe Saldana was, yeah. you know, the equivalent of um, Mia Farrow. Right. And it was excellent. I mean, the original is, for me, amazing. But, she, yeah, and Carol Bouquet, you know, superb. I thought she was excellent. Her voice is completely fine. I've no idea why they did No, it. I didn't know why. I'm sure I heard so something with her own I actually voice. wondered if they hadn't dubbed her or, or got her to dub her own voice. Maybe, maybe it's a slight yeah. disconnect I've got when I watch it that it doesn't quite seem... Mm-hmm. No, I, because of that, I, maybe it's always unofficial, isn't it? You, there's no sort of we don't know who did it if anyone else did it. So <laughs> it's always interesting. Well, no, they don't credit them, don't they? You, you know, think they've Bob. they've called everybody? They've tried to get a hold of Nikki Vanderzil and her phone. Yeah, Nikki. Yeah. Oh, God, who are we going to use? Ask that bloke <laughs> over there. See if he'll do it. You know, just anybody. She's in the seventies and she's got to play. You know, a woman in her early twenties. You know? <laughs> yeah, Sorry, no problem. <laughs> I mean, she's not. She's not like one of my absolute favourites by any stretch. I find her. She's quite an emotional character. You know what I mean? The actual how she's written, yeah. and I think that she plays it quite low key and I do think I do kind of agree with Steve in terms of that it does great on me a bit at the end of the day she's avenging a parent's murder 
and I don't think she plays it all that emotional for how she. It, you, all right, you get you get you get the look of her in her eyes and that kind of thing, and then you get Roger talking about revenge now again. But I never really, I don't buy into it hundred percent. I I much more prefer it when when you got BB on the screen going, "You can go to hell, <laughs> you can go to hell, Cuba, <laughs> you're <rub> down." <laughs> <laughs> the stunts, though, in this film, the more I'm talking about it, it must yeah, be one of the most impressive in the series. Yeah, and that, that's the, the scene uh, going with across the coral, uh, as you mentioned, is from yeah. the book, and it's it's a terrific scene yeah. when you read it in the book. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and they've captured it so well on film. They have cap- yes, that's right. Credit. Often, yeah. often you'll see a sequence like that, and then you know it's in the book, and then you go, "Oh, that's good." And then they, you go, "What's well, it in the movie?" And they kind of dilute it or do something, but they haven't. They've, it's a very, very, it's a very graphic scene. It's one of the very few scenes where you see somebody attacked in, by a shark. Full full screen, you know. Uh, I, was that a was was that a parrot? I thought I heard a parrot. <laughs> yeah. that what that was? It wasn't Max the parrot. Hey, that, are you saying Cheryl? Yeah. Right. Uh, oh, Mr. Bond. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so you have Georgie Leach who goes over the uh, is hit by the the, the buoyancy aid and goes over the yeah. side of the over the boat and then uh, he's uh, thrashing about. I had a conversation with George many years ago who said that you know he had a number of sharks swim around him, but the actual attack on the shark is done uh, or attack by the shark is done by another uh, an American stunt performer. This shark came at him like a torpedo and hit him Whoa. fairly square in the uh, in the gentleman's vegetables, which you don't want to do from a number of fathoms, I suppose, if it came up and d- did that. But he was um, he was perfectly fine and is the father of four, just, <laughs> just in case there were any issues with that. Those type of things. And of course, you know, we, we also have Rick Sylvester's uh, second yeah. moment of, of um, Gosh. madness. Is it madness? I think it might be madness. Where, well, you, you know, daredevil, don't you? you uh, well, yeah, because, you know, he's, he's not a stuntman and he's, he's being asked to, um, to jump off a perfectly serviceable rock face whilst attached to a rope now nowadays you'd use some form of bungee cord possibly or or yeah. something that would allow give you know <laughs> yeah it's so slack isn't it there's just no give in this whatsoever yeah. when he hits the bottom of that rope when it gets to the the absolute yeah. point where it does not stretch any further he is still Technically, I think the, the the advice he was given was pretend to be knocked out when you get to the bottom. Well, that would have been easy because he was almost knocked out yeah. when he got to the bottom. <laughs> you know, uh, nowadays they would have done it slightly differently. But he, they had to create he had to create a machine or a, 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 an assistance which would feed rope out slowly. If it fed it out all at once, he was going to get really you know thrown about at the bottom. He wanted to try and create something in like sandbags, so you had the rope coiled in such a way and it was being fed out through a sort of s shape through some sandbags so it was being fed out but it was being fed out slightly slower so that when he got to the bottom it wasn't as brutal i think it looks brutal and i think that camera shot again they've gone for the one camera shot like they did before you know they've gone for that one camera shot and when he gets to the bottom of 
went, you know, that, that, that excelling of air, that's not him acting. That's actually everything in his body going out through his mouth. Got nothing left. And that's one hell of a job to do. Now, of course, the perspective shots of that, of course, are done at Pimer Studios. So he's fallen about 155, 200 feet. And then you look down 10 feet, and there's the rest of the team below the basket and all that sort of stuff. It looks quite odd. It's a hell of a job. I think it is still shot well overall. You know, the interspersed, because you do see, I know you don't see Roger's legs, but you see him, you can see in the background the distance. Oh, it's a hell of a fall. The horizon, you know, when he's, uh, you know, using the hammer and all that. Yeah, that that is, to me, that makes it make me feel that Roger is on set. Mm. Sorry, Roger is actually there live. Of course, you know, know, he's not going to be doing the fall and all that. But it just... I do think it helps with the you know make it feel that Bond is doing this. And but he was probably one of the last of those of those leading actors to go. I don't need to do this. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm not doing it. Let him do it. He gets paid to do it. He'll do it. And where that guy's going, oh, I'll do it. That's okay. I get yeah. a payday. I'm quite happy. You know, so all of that nowadays you can't stop. It looks better on the long shots. You know, to, to, if you if you're showing someone falling or climbing, the long shot works better. So then oh, it doesn't really need to be Roger, does it? No, 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 not at all. But yeah, hell of a job, hell of a fall. I, I dare say he's still probably got bruises to prove it. I think uh, even now, but it was uh, quite a great fall. One of Cristato's killers. You must admire that scene. Oh, absolutely. I, I, mean, <laughs> I, I do know that you are goading, Tom. I am goading. Uh, you are goading. <laughs> I, I love For Your Eyes Only. There's only really? 19 films I love more than it in the Bomb series. That's that's the way I should go on. Oh, heavens. What I will say about this film is there's some brilliant stunts. I'm never as big on the ski scenes. They're good. They're impressive. But when I think of ski scenes, I just go straight to Majesties, and I think I think I, wrongly I just compare every ski scene to Majesties, and nothing can compare to that. But the rock climbing scene is outstanding, and and also it's amazing how I don't know how many films are on by this point, but you've got a completely new concept. It's it's not skis, yeah. it's not cars, it's not in mm. boats, it's in the water. It's just a new concept, and it's something that. It could be very slow and it could be very tedious if it was done wrongly, but it is so intense throughout mm. it and it, it's terrifically shot. It's a brilliant stunt. Also, so I think what's, what's very interesting from, from that point of view, that's, it's, it's a good point you make there because those people who say that the underwater sequences in Thunderball slow things down and the underwater sequences in, in um, uh, Never Say Never Again, oh, they throw things down, that slows it down terribly, all that sort of stuff. Well, the underwater sequences in this, they don't slow the picture down at no, all. In fact, they're absolutely all, no. gripping. They're brilliant. They're phenomenally good, you know? So uh, uh, maybe it's just the fact, maybe it's the fact that ninety percent of the filmed on dry land might be the, might be the <laughs> yes, reason. Exactly. I hadn't thought of that. Actually, it's a good point. I, I think uh, underwater scenes uh, benefit when you can clearly see who is who. Yes, and I think yeah. a little bit with Thunderball and. To extent, never say never again. But the Thunderball, you lose. It's it's sometimes hard to be quite sure who you're looking at, mm. and I think that loses it a bit. Whereas I think that's done better in Fury Eyes Only, and, and yeah. uh, we'll come to it later. But also in License to Kill, the underwater scenes, you always know exactly who is who, so it's yes, easy exactly. to follow the drama of it. I love how Math made the points. I think well, I can't remember we're talking about Thunderball that. 
the reason you can't have Felix going with Bond at the end is because then you'd have two white-haired people at the end. And it would become impossible to know who's really here. That's a good point. Yeah, that's true. I think one of the reasons why I think the Fear Eyes Only thing works well in the water as well is because they're only in the water when they absolutely have to be. Yeah. Um, Thunderball is a showcase of what they are doing at that time. And rightly so, it's a phenomenal achievement. I, I don't think the underwater scenes are boring, but I, I, don't, I, I genuinely don't. I think there's a lot of them. And I think mm. that sometimes because there's a lot of them, they can lose the effect. When you have one scene of a terrific stunt, i.e. Yeah. for your eyes only, and we remember that much more. Whereas when you look at what's going on in, and, and actually License to Kill is the same, we all remember the Manta Rain scene straight away. Uh, Thunderball, there's loads of amazing stuff in there, but because there's so many of them, it kind of converges into, oh, it's just the boring long underwater scenes. And that's an in- that does it a disservice. Yeah, because looking back at it now, seeing it all those years later, it isn't new, and you don't know that as a kid, you're not like, oh, this is amazing, this is the first time they ever did it. Precisely, like yeah. yeah. You're just left with the, the scene. And, I mean, I, I, I think the, the still, last time I saw it on Blu-ray, I think it, it brought it brought a new level for me, the amount of detail that was going on and the way it's shot and obviously it won an Oscar. But yeah, going back to Fury Eyes Only, I think that's 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 what it does so best. It's it's got so many different types of stunts, different locations, so yeah. many things going on. And quite a low key ending. You know, once once you've got up the top of the mountain, I mean you could complain that, you know, there's not a massive group of fights with the baddies and all and Christatus is killed quite easily and then you know they just chuck the ATAC on paper you could say oh you know it's a bit throwaway in, no. in, well in fairness to VRIs only it's in keeping with the film it's a yes. low it's a low stakes kind of film that's it's it's a cold war thriller that could happen in that time so yeah. actually that low key ending I think I think it's right for that film, definitely. I, I don't know what you're talking about, low-key ending. It finishes with the flaming prime minister yeah, of, yeah. of the day. I mean, that's quite a scoop. And the naked underwater swim as well. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and some way of being able to shoehorn the title of the movie into it at some point. Oh, I must yeah. say the name really? for your eyes only. So, ah, yeah. hang on, I've got a great idea. <laughs> They'd already had it when he gives them the file. Yeah. Not good enough. They needed I'll more. Tell you what, that's a whole other podcast, isn't it? Our favourite our favourite shoehorning of the day. Uh, I think Matt Zorin yeah. wins that every time to be honest. Oh. I, I, I do love, yeah. I bet it scared the living daylights. Yes. Oh, I oh, love that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. That's it for part two of our look into the best stunts of the James Bond franchise. Join us for part three, though, where we cover the films from Octopussy to Licence to Kill. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.